Okay, all right. Uh, good evening again, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of Bible Question and Answers. Now we're going to go through about six questions today. We'll try to go through it really briefly and swiftly. So let's go to the first one. First question we're going to tackle is the following. It's related to this poster that you see. Dear Brother John, good day. I've watched the previous Q&A. This is a follow-up question about ghosts and devil. This is about King Saul when he consulted the witch of Endor to summon the spirit of the prophet Samuel, written in these verses, 1 Samuel 28, 3-25. Now, who did King Saul talk to? Was it the devil or the soul or ghost of the prophet Samuel? So the question um, is, a, is, a, is about who Saul communicated with when he consulted with the witch of Endor. And supposedly the witch of Endor summoned the spirit of the prophet Samuel. So when he communicated with the prophet Samuel, was he speaking to a ghost? Was it the devil playing tricks on him? Or was it the actual soul of the prophet Samuel? So let's go ahead and take a look at the passage in question. First Samuel 28, 14 and 15. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. So what was the purpose of Saul in consulting a medium to bring up the spirit of Samuel? Because he wanted guidance. And so he was basically consulting the dead. Who is the dead in this instance, in this context? It is Samuel. He already died. And Saul wanted guidance from him because after all, he was basically his mentor, right? Because Yahuwah God used him to anoint Saul to be the first king of Israel. So he has familiarity with Samuel. And so in his moment of need, he wanted guidance from Samuel, and so he consulted with him, even though he already died. However, did Saul know that it was against the will of Yahuwah to consult the dead, to consult with the medium? Let's go to the book of 1 Samuel 28 and the verses 3. Meanwhile, Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown, and Saul had banned from the land of Israel, all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. So did Saul know that it was against the will of Yahuwah Arba to consult with mediums, to consult with the spirits of the dead? Yes, which is one of the reasons why he banned from the land of Israel, all mediums, all those who consult with the spirits of the dead. So he knew this was against the will of Yahuwah. He knew God's commandments. However, why did he still break this command? Why did he still seek to consult with the spirit of Samuel, who was already dead? Let's read 4 to 6. The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. He asked Yahuwah what he should do, but Yahuwah refused to answer him either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. So what tempted Saul to consult with a medium? It was his fear. He was basically in a frenzy of fear because he was panicking. The Philistine army surrounded him and Israel, and he was about to die. I guess that's what he felt. And so he wanted some guidance from Yahuwah God. However, despite the fact he would pursue Yahuwah for guidance, the Bible says that Yahuwah refused to answer him. He refused to answer him either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophet. So when you place yourself in the shoes of Saul, he was desperate, right? 
And so in his desperation, what did he request to do? First Samuel 28, 7 to 8, Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? You can tell and you can see that Saul really did not believe in Yahuwah's words, right? He did not really believe in the commands of Yahuwah because here he is, although he is in dire straits, he's in deep, deep desperation he calls for the medium at Endor. This person was well known for her ability, I suppose, in fulfilling certain things like summoning up the spirit of the dead. Of course, practices like that was against the will of God and it was inspired not by Yahuwah, but the devil. And so this woman at Endor uh, was the person that Saul began to seek, but Saul had to disguise himself because if the woman found out that he was Saul, she probably would not summon the spirit of the dead in fear of his her own life because it was banned, right? In all the land of Israel to practice conjuring up the spirits of the dead. So what happened when he presented himself to this woman in Endor and making this request. Let's read 1 Samuel 28 verse 9. Are you trying to get me killed? The woman demanded. You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? So she was very suspicious. She probably wants to still do it because it meant money, right? Because that's what they did it for, for money. It was a way, it was one of their businesses. And so she probably had the motivation to do it. But she was also very cautious because she knows it was outlawed. So she did not want to die. And so what did Saul do to comfort her fears? In the book of 1 Samuel 28, 10, but Saul took an oath in the name of Yahuwah and promised, as surely as Yahuwah lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. And so Saul made an oath. He vowed nothing bad will happen to this woman. Perhaps the woman knew it was Saul. Maybe she had an idea. It could have been Saul, but maybe not. Ne nevertheless, um, she entertains Saul, who was disguised. And what was, what did the woman say? What did she uh, say to Saul in the book of 1 Samuel 28, 11, finally, the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. And so the request has been made. This woman, who is a medium, a well-known medium from Endor, he's about, she's about to summon the spirit of Samuel, who was already dead. And so when she has done that, what happened? Let's read 28, 12 to 14. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his for? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. And so after Saul um, instructs the woman to summon the spirit of Samuel, almost immediately, what happens? All of a sudden, Samuel begins to appear. And what happened after Samuel began to appear? The woman cried out with a loud voice. Do you know why? Because she was startled. She was not expecting that. Because in her previous sessions, when she is practicing being a medium, 
and serving others and consulting the spirits of the dead. Nothing like this ever happened because it was all for show. It was all trickery. And so this time, all of a sudden, here's Samuel beginning to appear. And so she was afraid. She was surprised so much so she cried out with a loud voice. And so when this apparition, the spirit began to appear, what did Saul ask from her? Well, he said, well, what does he look like? What form does he have? And then she says, an old man covered with a mantle. Immediately, Saul knew this was Samuel. And so after this, what conversation took place? 28 verse 15, now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. And so they have a, a conversation. The medium is no longer serving as a medium. It seems to be a conversation between Saul and Samuel. And so what was he speaking to? Was it the devil? Was it the ghost of Samuel? What was he speaking to? I have no idea what he was speaking to. However, whatever he was speaking, uh, speaking to, it obviously did not come from the woman. Because she was surprised. And so who could it be? Who could it be? What possibilities are there concerning the identity of this apparition? This spirit looked like a man, right? Who was having a conversation with Saul. I believe it was God communicating to Saul his judgment against Saul. What's the proof? Take a look at this conversation that they have. 28, 16 to 19. Then Samuel said, why then do you ask me, seeing Yahuwah has departed from you and has become your enemy, and Yahuwah has done for himself as he spoke by me. For Yahuwah has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of Yahuwah, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, Therefore, Yahuwah has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, Yahuwah will also deliver Israel with you into the land of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Yahuwah will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So why do we believe this apparition, this spirit that was having a conversation with Saul was from Yahuwah our God, because it, it's speaking, Samuel was speaking the truth. And the Bible mentions it was Samuel, right? So it could be the actual Samuel that was resurrected at this time for this specific instance to communicate to Saul his judgment. What was Yahuwah's judgment? against Saul. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. What does that mean? He's going to die, and the army of Israel will be given into the hand of the Philistines. So there's nothing in the message of Samuel that would indicate that he was the devil, or that he was a false spirit, or an evil spirit. It does not indicate that in the conversation because what is shown in the conversation is the truth about Saul. Not only that, it also mentions a prophecy that was actually fulfilled. And so because it was fulfilled prophecy, what do we know about that? The source must be who? Yahuwah our God. Does it mean, does it mean that this is the norm? No, it doesn't mean that this is what we should be practicing. As a matter of fact, this is the reason why, the reason why Yahuwah decided to use Samuel in, its, in his form to speak to, um, to Saul was the following. Chronicles 10, 13 and 14. 
So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against Yahuwah, because he did not keep the word of Yahuwah, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of Yahuwah. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So why did Yahuwah God use as an instrument Samuel, even though he already died, to show the error and the sin of Saul? Why did Yahuwah God forsake Saul? Why did he decide to kill him as his act of judgment? Bible says, it makes it very clear, because he did not keep the word of Yahuwah. Because instead of annihilating completely the Amalekites, he spared King Agag and some of the best cattle, right? Not only that, because it says here, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. So when he was in that condition of desperation, and then he consulted with the medium in Endor, that was the nail on the coffin. And so Yahuwah God made a judgment right there and then. So that this is why soon after, if you notice in the in the book of 1 Samuel, right after, immediately after Saul asks the woman of Endor to summon the spirit of uh, Samuel, what happens? All of a sudden, Samuel appears. Why? Yahuwah God was using him to communicate his judgment against Saul. Okay, this is why uh, this was the only instance of someone who died uh, resurrecting in this manner. And so Yahuwah God is not teaching us that this is what we should practice. As a matter of fact, Yahuwah God is telling us if you do this, the, ju the judgment is instant. In this case, Yahuwah decided to kill who? Saul. This is why the prophecy was fulfilled and to make it clear that we should not be consulting with sorcery or with mediums let's not forget this command of Yahuwah God Deuteronomy 18 10 to 12 but for example never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering and do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to Yahuwah. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that Yahuwah, your God, will drive them out ahead of you. So it's clear from Yahuwah's word, we are not to consult with the spirits of the dead. We are not to consult with mediums or psychics. This is detestable to Yahuwah, our God. And this is why... The instance or the situation there uh, of uh, Saul seeking the help of a medium should not be a basis for us to consult with mediums. Rather, it should be a warning because Yahuwah God instantly judged Saul. And because of that, Yahuwah said, you're going to die. Okay, so we should not think that, uh, I mean, is it possible? Is Yahuwah God able to resurrect Samuel in that instance? Yeah, he can do that because Yahuwah God can do anything. However, that was an exception, not the norm. It was the only time that happened. And so the norm is uh, those who die, they remain in their grave. Okay. All right. We have learned uh, that Joshua's original Hebrew name is the same as the original Hebrew name of Lord Yahusha. Even the, even the early servants of God like Matthew, Judah, Isaiah, and many more have their original Hebrew names as well. So is, correct, is it correct to say that Joshua is the English transliteration for Yahusha? I'm not asking this because I want to use the name Joshua, but just curious. Well, good question, because when we read scripture, we look at the name Joshua, and underneath the, the, the uh, English translation Joshua is the Hebrew, and the Hebrew is Yahusha. And so we need to understand what is a transliteration in the first place. Well, transliteration tells you the, a translation is different from transliteration. Right? What's the difference between the two? A translation tells you the meaning of words in another language. A transliteration doesn't tell you the meaning of the words, but it helps you to pronounce them. 
And so it preserves the pronunciation of uh, the word. Transliteration changes the letters from one alphabet or language into the corresponding similar sounding characters of another alphabet. So the transliteration preserves the sound, right? And so if we look at it in a graphical form, transli uh, transliteration preserves the sound, but translation is the meaning. For example, John, right? The name John. What is the translation, the translation of John in Filipino? One. What is the transliteration of John in Filipino? John. Okay, you see the difference? Not all names have a translation, but it's a practice, especially when it comes to the Hebrew names, that we ought to keep and preserve the sound, the how it's to be pronounced according to the phonetics of the original language. And so to do that, we need to look at the alphabet of the Hebrew language to preserve the sound in its transliteration. In Numbers 13, 16, these are the names of the men and women Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua, right? And when you look at the Hebrew of Joshua, it is that familiar looking uh, name. What is that name? Yahushua, okay? And so what is the transliteration of this Hebrew name? Well, let's look at the alphabet. It begins with a yod, a hey, a wow, a shin, and an ayin, right? That is the letters that form the Hebrew name that we found in Numbers 13, 16. How is it transliterated according to the alphabet and sound of the Hebrew original language? And so when you look at the letters, yod and hey, they form ya. You add the wow, it's an u sound. Ya, hu. The shin, the shin and the ayin, sha, ya, hu, sha. And so the transliteration is ya, hu, sha. Okay, now the question is, is it correct to say that Joshua is the English transliteration for Yahusha? No, it's, it's better to say that the proper transliteration of that name, that Hebrew name, is Yahu. Sha, right? And so the proper transliteration of the Hebrew name that is in that, that has the English translation Joshua and Jesus is what? Yahusha. Okay. Um, and so there's a lot of confusion too, because when people read Joshua, that's not, and then they look at the Hebrew original, it's transliterated Yahusha, but sometimes they translate it in. To Jesus, right? So you have two transliterations of the same Hebrew name. And so that is very confusing to a lot of people. And it shows the bias in the translation to the English uh, text. So when it comes to the Hebrew name, the proper transliteration of that, that name is Yahusha. Okay. All right. Let's go to another question. As far as I know, we have started our work when we learned about the evil works happening inside, I'm not going to mention the name, and started exposing them. My question is, are we still in the works of exposing? If so, do we have biblical guidelines to follow on how we do the exposing? Is it proper for us to call the members in a particular religious group just because they're calling us fallen angels and calling their ministers as mga ministrong tepok sa COVID. This is not to attack my fellow brothers and sisters po in the assembly. We love you all and we want the Bible to teach us how to be more righteous. Yahuwah bless us all. So I can see the concern of this brother who wrote the, uh, the question. Apparently, maybe he saw people who belong to the assembly of Yahusha. And maybe they post something on Facebook. And as they post on Facebook, they're, they're exposing evil deeds of certain religions. But they're using, uh, they're, they're using some derogatory terms, right? Like, for example, mga ministrong tepok sa COVID. 
And so when you use derogatory terms like that, is that still proper? And so our work of exposing wickedness, is that still something that we should be doing? And if so, are we permitted to use derogatory remarks in exposing wicked acts? So that's the question, okay? So let's go ahead and look for the answer. Is it still our work to expose wickedness? In the book of Ephesians 6 to 7, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the, in the things these people do. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. So the Apostle Paul tells us in no uncertain terms that we are not to take part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. How can we tell um, what, what deeds are considered evil and dark? Apostle Paul says, determine first what pleases the Lord, right? How can we find out what pleases the Lord? Where can we find that? In the Holy Bible. That's our standard. And so we carefully look at scripture and we test everything. We see whether or not a practice or a belief endorses wickedness or endorses something that's good. If it endorses wickedness, what are we to do? Bible says have no part in it. Not only that, he also says don't participate in the things that these people do. So for example, if one belongs to a religion that practices idolatry, that glorifies a human being, Bible says that's not that's not good. That is not of Yahuwah. And so what are they called upon to do? Do not participate with them. Because if you participate with them, it's like you're endorsing what they are doing. Instead of endorsing what they are doing by participating with them in the works of idolatry. What are we supposed to do? Bible says we need to expose them. And so the work of exposing that is something we continuously do. However, when we do expose the works of darkness and the worthless deeds of evil, how are we to do it? Let's read the book of Ephesians 13 and 14. But their evil intentions will be exposed. How? When the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. How are we to expose the worthless deeds of evil and darkness? By allowing the light to shine on them. How can we allow the light to shine on them? By proclaiming the words of Yahuwah. By our good actions. Because remember what Yahusha said. Shine brightly as lights before men by your good works. When you make a derogatory remark against someone who is not of your faith, if you make a derogatory remark against someone who is performing what we consider an act of darkness and wickedness, if we do that, are we exposing them the right way? No, because we're using darkness to expose darkness. And that does not work. What works when we use light to expose the darkness? This is what we need to do. And so when we encounter people who attack our faith, who disagree with what we are presenting and proclaiming, how can we let our light shine in a way that is according to the will of Yahuwah our God? 2 Timothy 2, 23 to 26. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he once. So how can we shine brightly to expose the work of wickedness 
Bible says, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that start fights when you present a derogatory remark. What is going to happen? It's going to start what? A fight. It's exactly what Apostle Paul says not to do. And so let's not say anything that, that uh, as an attack against the character of individuals, right? Let's expose the work of darkness, not the people who are you who are fulfilling them but the work itself that way we will not get into foolish ignorant arguments and so when we present what we believe and there is quarreling it's time to stop because it will have no good effect so we need to ask ourselves what is our purpose in presenting and proclaiming the truth is it to prove that we're right and they're wrong or is it so that they can be convinced of the truth and so that they can also have their hearts changed, learn the truth and join uh, the, the right way of worshiping God? So what is our purpose, right? Because our purpose will determine how we're going to interact with them. And if our purpose is to win them, we're not going to use derogatory remarks. Instead, we're going to use gentleness because Apostle Paul says, gently instruct those who oppose thee truth not only gentleness but also must we always keep in mind especially when there are people who have conflicting beliefs and what we have the book of first peter 3 15 and 17 instead you must worship christ as lord of your life and if someone asks about your christian hope always be ready to explain it but do this in a gentle and respectful way keep your conscience clear then if people speak against you They'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. And so what must we always keep in mind when we are trying to uh, preach and proclaim the word of God and convince them of the truth that we believe in? Bible says we need to always be gentle. And what's the key? What's the key word? We have to do it in what way? respectful way right when we use ad hominem attacks is that doing it in a respectful way if we're going to attack their character is that doing it in a respectful way if we're going to call them names and derogatory labels well is that doing it in a gentle and a respectful way no that's not the spirit of love that's not how we're supposed to do it. Remember, everything we do has to be from the spirit of what? Love, right? Not the spirit of um, pride. You see the difference? Because oftentimes when we have knowledge of something, the pride kind of kicks in. We want to prove that we're right and everyone is wrong. No. What we need to do is operate from the spirit of love. And the spirit of love allows for us to be gentle to be respectful, and to be kind. That's how we shine brightly as lights of the world. We're not overbearing, right? We're not pressuring. We are doing it in a gentle way. Where did Apostle Paul and Apostle Peter get this from? Because the two apostles, Peter and Paul, are teaching us the same things, right? Gentle, respect, kindness, when proclaiming the word of God. Where do you think they learned that from? From Yahushua. What's the proof? Take a look at this. The book of Luke 9, 51 and 56, when Yahushua was still here on earth, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. And so some messengers were sent by Yahushua, and they were not received well. Basically, they opposed who? Yahusha. How would you feel if you were sent by Yahusha and they opposed you because they were opposed to Yahusha? You'd feel bad, right? And you probably want to respond in an aggressive, maybe hostile way. And so here were his disciples who were sent and they encountered opposition. What do you think they did? How do you think they handled that opposition? Good or bad? Well, let's find out, right? Uh, let's keep reading. 54. When 
his disciples, James and John, saw this. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> James and John are human beings. <laughs> what do they want to do with these people who oppose them? Yeah, Lord, <laughs> do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I wonder what Yahushua said to them. Let's go ahead and find out. But he turned and rebuked them. Yahushua said, no. He rebuked them from even suggesting such a thing. Why? Let's keep reading. And said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. And so they went to a village. They were opposed. They went to the next one. Right? That's what we do. We share our faith. They reject it. We go to the next person. It's as simple as that. But we need to make sure when we do share our faith, when we do proclaim the word, we need to make sure we're doing it in the right spirit. What's the wrong spirit? The spirit of pride. The spirit of wanting to prove you're right and they're wrong. James and John had that spirit. This is why Yahushua rebuked them. He said to James and John, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. That's the spirit of the devil, the spirit of pride. We must operate from the spirit of what? Love, which means patience and kindness. And so if they're not ready for the message, give them time. Move on to the next one. This is how we must do the work of exposing by right, by proclaiming the words of God in a way that is gentle, kind, respectful, motivated by what again? The spirit of love. Okay. All right. Let's go to uh, another question. Exodus 20, 13. Do not commit murder. Are we allowed to join the military? Okay. So the Bible teaches in Exodus 20, 13, the following, you shall not murder. And so because there's a command of Yahuwah God not to murder, doesn't it follow that we who are followers of Yahuwah and Yahusha are not permitted to enter the military? Because if you are in the armed forces during times of war, what are you going to do? You're going to take up arms and eventually you might be called upon to kill other people. The Bible says you shall not murder. So, so what... Do we need to understand about Yahuwah's command here in Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder? The simple answer is that in Hebrew, as well as English, there is a distinction between to kill and to murder, as opposed to killing. Murder is the taking of life without legal justification, execution after due process, or moral justification, killing in defense. Does the Bible allow for killing? Yes. If you are defending yourself, defending your loved ones, when else? When there's a legal uh, justification to do so. Perhaps when there is war between your nation and another nation. This is why when Israel was the nation of God, did they have armies? Yes, they had armies. They had soldiers. Did they engage in killing? Yes, but... Uh, the, what they were doing was according to a legal justification as approved by Yahuwah our God. During the Christian era, is there, how can we know, how can we tell if a certain type of war is something that is approved by Yahuwah our God? Let's read the book of Romans 13, 1 to 4. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for, these, for there is no authority except from God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of, authority, of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do, do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And so the Bible um, authorizes um, people who are in government to make decisions concerning the act of war, the act of protecting one's nation, the act of killing, because there are times when war is called for. For example, when the purpose of war 
is to avert or to condemn terrorism. Is that something that is approved by Yahuwah God? Yeah, because that's an evil work, right? And so if the war that we are engaged in is a war to prevent the spread of evil, then by all means, that is not against the will of Yahuwah our God. However, it also depends on the person, okay? And so if you are unwilling to support that, then it probably is not a good idea for you to join that war. So you have to understand that the cause of the war is something we need to also look into. But when it comes to joining the military in general, the Bible is not against that. It does not specifically mention that we should not be a part of the armed forces or the military. As a matter of fact, in many instances, especially the Old Testament, what do we find? We find the people of God engaged in warfare. In the New Testament, of course, is different. However, even in the New Testament, the Bible does not tell us that we should not join the military. The book of Matthew 8, 5 to 7. Now, when Yahusha had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Yahuwah said to him, I will come and heal him. And so here was a centurion. What is a centurion? He's a leader of soldiers, right? A hundred. He's a soldier, soldier. He's a soldier who's also a leader of a hundred soldiers. And so he was in the military, right? He was in the Roman military. And so when he approached Yahusha, did Yahusha condemn him for what he was doing? Because he was making a request from Yahusha. If Yahusha say, okay, I'll do that for you if you will quit your job. Is that what he said to the centurion? No, he said, I will come and heal him. And as a matter of fact, if you read the entire chapter of this, of this scenario, Yahusha even said, this man possess what kind of faith? Amazing faith, right? So this that's the centurion. Not only Yahusha, but even Apostle Paul alluded to uh, uh, military. 2 Timothy 2, 3 to 4, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Yahusha Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And so Yahusha did not condemn the military. Apostle Paul did not condemn the military and used it as an illustration uh, to preach and to teach the early Yahushans. Not only that, it seems that Apostle Paul used to be a soldier. In the book of Philippians 2.25, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and what does it say? Fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to me uh, to my need. So when it comes to joining the military. It all depends on your motivation, right? What is your purpose? Why do you want to join the military? Is it because of pride? Is it because you want to help your fellow men? Because a lot of times when we talk to people and ask them, why did you want to join the military? It's because I want to defend my country. I want to protect my family, right? Because when we join the military, we want to protect the freedom that we have, especially here in the United States. So we have a good intention, we have good motivation. And Yahusha spoke about that too in 1513. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so when we remember our the, the people who joined the military, those who fought in wars on behalf of the United States, so many of them really risked their life, right? They laid down their life for their friends. That's for us. And so I don't think that's... Yahusha is against that. As a matter of fact, he says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Oftentimes that describes soldiers who bravely go out into the field, risk their life for our sakes. And so if our motivation is love, if it's to protect our family, to protect our friends, that is a good motivation. And I, don't, and I believe that uh, Yahuwah God does not frown against that, okay? All right, let's go to the next question. Matthew 28, 19. Did Brother Felix Manalo receive baptism? Um, I'm not too certain if he did because I was not around from what I know because what we were taught that he did not receive baptism. And there's a reason why there was no need for him to receive baptism 
And we know that Yahusha was baptized, right? And so the question sometimes as a follow-up to this question is, well, if Yahusha was baptized, why was Brother Felix Manalo not baptized? So I want you to think about that question, but let's go ahead and try to answer this question. This is how uh, a member of the Galatian Christa would answer this question. Matthew 28, 19, uh, why was Brother Felix, uh, Felix Manalo baptized? The answer is no. Why was he not baptized? Because there was no need for him to be baptized because when he started the ministry, it was from the belief that there was an apostasy, right? And so the question is, who's going to baptize him when he was the one who began the work in these last days? And so who's going to baptize Brother Felix Manalo? And so, well, how about the purpose of baptism? How was that fulfilled in him if he was not baptized? And so what was the purpose of the baptism that was instituted or uh taught by Yahushua. In the book of Acts 2.38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Yahushua Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that was one. Uh, number two, baptism, so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? What else? Matthew 28.19-20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so what was another purpose of baptism? Not just for the forgiveness of sins, but also so that people can become disciples of Yahushua. And so how can we, I mean, how do you now answer the question, was Brother Felix Manalo since forgiven? Because he was not baptized, right? Was Brother Felix Manalo a disciple of Yahushua? Was he a servant because he was not baptized? And so how do we answer that question? The book of Isaiah 43, verse 5, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And so the, the, the messenger's sins were blotted out by Yahuwah God himself. Well, how about the part where he is a disciple? Let's read the book of Isaiah again, 41, 9 to 10. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from his farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right so what we see here is an example of an exception to the norm. What's the norm? The baptism. It's a must, right? But there are exceptions because Yahuwah, by fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 46 and Isaiah 41, forgives the sins of the messenger and also makes him a servant, a chosen disciple. Okay? This is why there was no need for him to receive the baptism. All right, let's go to the next question. Brother John, could you please explain the following? John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find faster. What does that mean? It means a lot. And it's a wonderful, wonderful message from Yahusha, something we need to really process tonight before we go ahead and pray. So this is the last question we're going to be discussing. So let's go ahead and take a look at John chapter 10, verse 9. Yahushua says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I think we know very well the first part about entering by me, right? But we probably are not too familiar with the second part and will go in and out and find pasture. Does that mean? that we go in and out of Yahushua and find pasture? No, we will go in and out of some place. We're gonna find out what that is. But before we go there, let's find out the context. Why did Yahushua present this metaphor, this idea of a shepherd and his sheep, right? Remember during the days of Yahushua, during the days of Israel, the people who were considered, who were priests and kings, they were considered shepherds. And those who were their subjects were considered what? Sheep. And so this picture, this metaphor of shepherd and sheep, it represents the relationship between the people who have religious authority 
and the people who are following the people who have religious authority, the shepherd and the sheep. Now, why is Yahusha teaching us this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep? Well, we have to understand this message of Yahusha was in response to what happened to one individual. Yeah. What was that? Who was that individual? To get the, uh, the, the, the context, we have to go to John chapter 9. Because John chapter 10 is the explanation for what Yahusha did with this individual and something that happened to him in John chapter 9. So let's go to John chapter 9, 24, 25. You're probably familiar with this. A second time, they called back the man who had been born blind and said to him, promise me before God that you will tell the truth. We know that this man who cured you is a sinner. I do not know if he's a sinner or not. The man replied, one thing I know, I was blind and now I see. Do you still remember this passage? I think we watched like a, a video, a small video clip of this passage in the book of John because there was this man who was born blind and Yahusha cured him. He healed him instantly, right? And so he was being interrogated by the Pharisees. He was being interrogated by the high priest, the, Jew, the, the people who were in authority, the so-called shepherds of Israel, okay? So they're being he was being interviewed by the shepherds and he's a sheep. A sheep who was born blind, but he was healed by this man, Yahusha HaMashiach. And so they interrogated him a second time. They called him because they could not accept that this person who was born blind is believing this Yahusha. And so they wanted to interrogate him. They really wanted this man to condemn Yahusha as a sinner. So they're pressing him. They're asking him, okay, how did, how did he do it? Where did this man we know that this man who cured you, this Yahusha you're talking about, we know he's a sinner. And so his response was, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. One thing I know is I was blind and now I see. And But they keep pressing him. And so in John 9, 26 to 27, they ask the question, what did he do to you? They ask, how did he cure you of your blindness? I have already told you, he answered. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Maybe you too would like to be his disciples. And so he can tell, you know, the uh, interrogators were probably very upset because they were trying to convince this man, born blind, who was healed by Yahusha, to condemn Yahusha, right? And then this man who was born blind is saying to these interrogators, these shepherds who are interrogating him, he's saying, do you also want to be his disciple? <laughs> and so what happened after that? 28, 29, they insulted him. You are that fellow's disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for that fellow, however, we do not even know where he comes from. And so what did they do to this man born blind and healed by Yahusha HaMashiach? They insulted him. And what was the basis for their insult? They made the claim, we belong to Moses. And so we can see they were stuck right? They were stuck in the Old Testament times. They were not ready to move on. And so they were covered in their eyes. They could not see that Yahushua is the fulfillment of what Moses, the prophets, and the Old Testament scripture spoke about. They could not see that. They were stuck in the Mosaic way when it was time to move on to the way of Yahusha. And so because they were stuck in the, in the ways of Moses in the Old Testament times, they could not see um, what that Yahusha was indeed the Messiah. And so here's Yahusha, I mean, the, the man healed by Yahusha. And what was he trying to do? Let's keep reading. 3033, the man answered, what a strange thing that is. You do not know where he comes from, but... He cured me of my blindness. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He does listen to people who respect him and do what he wants them to do. Since the beginning of the world, nobody has ever heard of anyone giving sight to a person born blind. Unless this man came from God, he would not be able to do a thing. And so he was, he had a strong conviction, right? The uh, false shepherds were trying to convince him to condemn Yahusha. 
but he had a strong conviction that this man came from who? From God. And because of his conviction, um, the Pharisees, what did they do? 934. They answered, you were born and brought up in sin and you were trying to teach us? And they expelled him from the synagogue. And so he was expelled from the synagogue. And after he was expelled, guess who speaks to this man? <laughs> Let's find out. John 9, 35 to 39. When Yahusha heard what had happened, he found the man and asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, well, tell me who he is, sir, so that I can believe in him. Yahusha said to him, you have already seen him. And he is the one who is talking with you now. I believe, Lord, the man said, and knelt down before Yahusha. Yahusha said, I came to this world to judge so that the blind should see and those who see should become blind. And so when Yahusha found out that there was this man who was expelled because of his con conviction in believing Yahusha, Yahusha approached him. Isn't that a great blessing? Right? And he said to the man, do you believe in the son of man? And the man was born blind. Tell me who he is, and I will believe him. And in no uncertain terms, Yahushua says to the man, I am he. And he knelt down and believed. And so at this point, this man became a sheep of who? Yahushua. Who is the true shepherd? Yahushua, right? Well, how about the, uh, the, the Pharisees? What did he say to the Pharisees? Book of John 9, 40 to 41. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked him, surely you don't mean we are blind too? Yahushua answered, if you were blind, then you would not be guilty. But since you claim that you can see, this means that you are still guilty. And so Yahushua is condemning the Pharisees for their blindness. Why? Because they have studied the Old Testament scriptures because they could not be pharisees and be called teachers of the law unless they had knowledge of scriptures right and so if they were not blind they should have already seen that yahushua is the one that their scriptures was speaking of but they could not see that who was able to see that the blind man you see the irony of it and so yahushua now is speaking to the pharisees and he is going to try and convince them that they are, um, they're not the correct shepherds, that he is the shepherd, that he is the Mashiach or Messiah that they are supposed to be looking for if they truly found or truly studied the scripture. So after 941, it goes to chapter 10, 1 to 2. Remember, uh, in the original Bible, there is no numbering. It's just one continuous scroll. And so it flows to John 10, 1. So he's speaking now to these Pharisees and to the people there. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so to try and convince the Pharisees that he is the true shepherd, he is uh, transitioning to this metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. And when a shepherd has sheep, he has a flock, right? But in the flock, because when the word flock is used, it's in reference to all of the sheep. But in the flock of the shepherd, he has a sheep fold. In other translations, it's also called a sheep pen. In the biblical days, during the days of Yahushua here on earth, the sheep at night were kept protected in a sheep pen. It's usually made of stone. It looked like this. That's a sheep pen. Okay. And they probably had several sheep pens to house all the different sheep. The sheep pen has a gatekeeper. You see the small gate there, the small door, right? And so there's a gatekeeper that protects the entrance. And Yahusha says in John 10, right? There's a difference between a true shepherd and a false shepherd. 
A false shepherd does not go to the door. Instead, the false shepherd enters some other way because the gatekeeper will probably reject this thief and robber. But the gatekeeper will know who the true shepherd is. So Yahushua is making a distinction between a true shepherd and a false shepherd. What does a false shepherd do? He's a thief. He's a robber. But the true shepherd, he is the one who truly cares for the sheep. And he is able to go to the door, right? To the door, oops, to the door of the sheepfold. And when he goes to the door of the sheepfold, it means he is the true shepherd. And because he is the true shepherd, what is the sheep able to do when he goes to the door? Let's read the book of John 10, 3 to 4. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And so according to Yahusha himself, the shepherd, when he enters the door, he's able to bring out who? His sheep out of the sheep pen. Remember, it was in the evening that the sheep are gathered in the sheep pen. What's the purpose of the sheep pen or the sheepfold? To protect the sheep, right? That's why you have a gatekeeper. You protect the sheep in the sheep pen. But who wants to be cooped up in a sheep pen all day? That's why in the morning, what usually happens? During the days of Yahusha, the shepherd shows up and he leads the sheep outside of the sheep pen. And who is guiding them? The shepherd. And so the shepherd, the true shepherd of the sheep pen are recognized by his sheep. And so Yahushua saying to the people, not everyone uh, is going to, that he is the only one, I should say, that should be accepted by his sheep. So those who belong to him as his sheep, they will listen to his voice. But if there's someone who's a false shepherd who shows up, what does he say about the reaction of the sheep? Let's read John 10, 5 to 6. That they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Yahushua used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. He was speaking to the Pharisees, and they did not understand what Yahushua was talking about. He was using this illustration of shepherd and sheep. Why? Because it was something else everyone was familiar with. And what was the purpose of this illustration? To show the work of the true shepherd as compared to false shepherds. Remember, the Pharisees claim that they are the shepherds of the people of Israel. Yahushua is the true shepherd, however. And to illustrate that, he gives this metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. And so what else does, what does he say next? John 7 to 9, then Yahushua said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them, for I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And so Yahushua, in using the illustration of the shepherd and the sheep and exposing those who are false shepherds, calls them thieves and robbers. But the true shepherd, what will he do? He says, those who enter by him will go in and out and find pasture. What does that mean? They will go in and out of the sheep pen so that they can go to the pasture so that they can enjoy the grass. Because when it comes to the true shepherd, he gives, what does the true shepherd do? Which is why it's likened to sheep being able to go out into pasture. Let's read the book of John 10, 10 to 11. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for 
the sheep. And so we can tell here the difference between Yahusha as the shepherd and false ministers and false shepherds. The false shepherds, what do they do with the sheep? They steal, they kill, destroy. But the true shepherd, what does he do? He gives them life and he gives it more abundantly. He takes them out into the pasture. They go in and out of the pasture. They enjoy the pasture like this. I mean, which group of sheep do you think is more happy? That one or this one? <laughs> don't, you, don't you think it's unfortunate? There are some religions today whose members feel like this. They feel like they're trapped in their religion. <laughs> they feel like they're trapped in their church because of the way their shepherds, just like the Pharisees, control them. They steal, they kill, they exploit. They want to keep the pasture lands all for themselves. And this is what Yahushua is trying to, to teach the Pharisees. The, the brand of religion they're practicing is controlling by fear, making the sheep feel like a prisoner, like this. But Yahushua says, no, those who enter by me, those who trust in him, those who become parts of his body, they're not going to feel trapped like this. They will enjoy the freedom of the pasture. They will go in and out and they will grow. They will be filled with joy. And this is why it's much better, brothers and sisters, to follow Yahushua than to be stuck in a religion that controls you and makes you feel like you're a prisoner. This is what Yahushua envisions as he leads us who, is, who are his sheep. This is why Yahushua says, I am the door. If you enter by me, if anyone enters by me, he will be safe. Not only that, he will go in and out and find pasture. They will enjoy the freedom that they have in Yahushua and they will grow. They will be filled with joy and they will live life abundantly. That's what it means. They will go and find pasture. They will find their daily provision from Yahuwah through Yahusha, because they will not be limited. They will grow, and they'll be filled with joy serving Yahuwah and Yahusha. Okay? All right, that is our lesson for tonight. Let us all stand for our prayer. Almighty and merciful Father, yes. thank you so much, Yahuwah our God, yes. for all of your blessings. Thank you for giving us your beloved son yes. to be our chief shepherd, Amen. the good shepherd who died for us, Amen. that we can be redeemed, that we can follow him, yes. and we can find our way to you. Amen. Yahushua, thank you so much. Yes. You are our good shepherd. Yes. You want us to have life abundantly. Yes. Thank you for leading us in and out of the pasture. Keeping us protected in our own sheepfold. Yes, and also enjoying the pasture lands. Yes. Because we are allowed to grow. To experience you. Yes. To love you. And to keep going until the very end. Amen. Always be with us. In yes, times of Lord. danger. When yes, we Lord. seek your guidance. May we hear your voice. Yes, your Lord. voice that will comfort us. Yes. May we hear it deep in our hearts. Yes, that we Lord. can find courage and strength along the way. Amen. Father please remember and bless your people throughout the world. Yes. Help us to endure. Give us enough strength that we may finish our race. Amen. Thank you for your guidance through your holy words. Yes, we ask and beg everything, loving Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.